Welcome to Why Everybody Hates You, an audio support group for reputation professionals. If you have any responsibility for how people talk, think and feel about your organisation, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, reputation coach Daisy Powell Chandler. As the world grapples with an energy price crisis, it can be easy to forget how recent and relevant the COVID pandemic remains. For this episode, I spoke to Richard Morn, Senior Director of UK Policy and Public Affairs at Pfizer, as he prepared to launch their landmark report on the breakthrough thinking that they have drawn from their pandemic experience. I started by asking him the obvious question. Thank you so much for joining me, Richard. I really appreciate it. Why does everybody hate you? It's <laughs> a good question that I often ask myself. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think when it comes to um, to reputation for the general public, I think you know they probably historically tended to have quite a nuanced view of my industry. So the reputation hasn't been terrible, but it's not been brilliant either. And I think there are some historical issues that we can point to, including around transparency. I think there are always going to be uh, tensions often when it comes to access to medicines. And I think some of those, those uh, kind of drive that. But it's probably become a bit of a cliche over the past year or two to say that the pandemic has changed how people see my industry. Some companies like us have become household names in a way perhaps not seen before. And the public have had, I think, more exposure to the power of the industry to improve and save lives. Um, so, so I think we can say that there's somewhat of a turning of the corner here, but, um, but obviously, you know, the question is, how can that be maintained? And that's certainly something that, that we spend quite a lot of time thinking about. Absolutely. Now, you've been working in the pharmaceutical industry for six years now. And as you alluded to there, it's been a bit of a wild six years. How much has the job and the industry changed since you joined? Oh, there's been there's been so much change. I mean, I, I joined thinking back. I joined around about the time of the EU referendum in 2016, where I've been working at the the Confederation of British Industry, and and Brexit I think had lots of complex impacts on the life sciences sector. So it really became the lens through which I learned about the industry. So I know we're talking a lot at the moment about um, about Brexit opportunities. Well, um, it was probably a personal opportunity for me because it really accelerated my learning mm. about the sector. And, and when I when I was sort of thinking about leaving the CBI a few years back, um, I, I knew that I wanted my next step to be something which gave me an even deeper connection to purpose. So around that time, my family was going through some health challenges, gave me a strong personal drive into the field of healthcare. So it was quite an easy choice to move into life sciences. And for me, there's no business sector that's more closely connected to purpose than, to, than this one. And, and that's of course taken on even greater significance during the pandemic. Absolutely. And I think that actually brings out one of the interesting aspects of COVID, which is I think if you say COVID and Pfizer to the man in the street, they think, vaccines immediately I think that's where the the mind goes but it wasn't all about vaccines for you guys was it? No absolutely not um, and, and clearly it wasn't for the for the NHS as, as much as it as it uh, kind of was for my company 
I mean, early, early in 2020, I think around about the time the potential scale of COVID was becoming clearer, our CEO, Albert Baller, set out a five-point plan for tackling COVID. Uh, yes, a big part of that was the need to be working at speed to develop medical solutions. But what was incredibly important in the early days was marshalling our people to help with the immediate response. So for, for us and for many in the wider industry, this, this included continuity of supply of critical care medicines and vaccines around the world. We saw a 200% increase in global demand for our crit critical care medicines during that period. And, and mm. even in the UK, you know, we needed to work incredibly hard to ensure that essential medicines could be brought into the country to keep intensive care units functioning during those early phases of the pandemic. And that's just, mm. that's just one example. Absolutely. So you get that critical care phase at the beginning, then you get the intensive period of vaccine development and rollout, and presumably now still dealing with some of the, the fallout of the living with COVID as a, a longer term prospect. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I mean, if I sort of think about how the, the, the pandemic has, has undulated when it comes to science in, in the UK, uh, I think we can genuinely say that when it comes to um, to life sciences, when it comes to um, uh, uh, kind of science more broadly in the response against, against COVID, the UK has been at the forefront of many breakthroughs. So we were home to the fastest recruit recruiting clinical trial in medical history. We led globally in the genomic sequencing of the virus. We also led in a policy sense through the Pandemic Preparedness Partnership or of the, presidency of the G7. But, but obviously one of the most notable areas of success that people point to was the vaccination program. And, uh, and there were a number of, of kind of firsts there, I think for the UK, which will uh, be remembered into the, into the future. Um, and, and the success I think was made possible by the whole system coming together to deliver against a shared mission. And in a way which perhaps we hadn't seen before, it was embodied in the work of the UK Vaccine Task Force, which for us in industry represented a new way of working with our partners and government. But, uh, but yes, we obviously had that, that very intensive period and that continues in terms of um, work around the vaccine. And as we, as we kind of moved into this, this I would say is a, a, a somewhat of a transitional phase, the living with COVID strategy, we're, we're, we're largely operating as normal as a society. Mm -hmm. I say largely because <clears throat> I know it's not the same for everyone including the clinically vulnerable, but, but broadly speaking, we're moving from pandemic response to pandemic recovery. And I think in this context, it's vital that we continue to use all the tools at our disposal to protect the population, particularly as we look ahead to what's expected to be a very challenging winter for the NHS. And of course, the pandemic is, 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 is not over. Um, so there's a still feels like there's a big job for us to do to ensure continued provision of vaccines and treatments. And, and at this inflection point, we also have a big opportunity and dare I say a, a duty to capture lessons around what's worked well so far during the pandemic, including when it comes to science and including the role of my industry. Mm. So that is a lot of change and a lot of different strands to pull together. And it it's clear that the pandemic provided a lot more contact with some of your really important stakeholders, whether that's in the vaccine task force, having that day-to-day -day contact with ministers in a, in a very high stress environment, or whether that's simply the public hearing a lot more about you. How has that impacted 
the way in which you think about your reputation. What have you seen in your tracking about the impact on what people think about Pfizer? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. I mean, I think that um, you know clearly there, there's that kind of recognition and understanding of, of Pfizer amongst our broader audience that perhaps is stronger than than there was before. Um, that that's helpful, right? In terms of getting a um, uh, a hearing and and sort of like having discussions with our our stakeholders, but but clearly it's not um, it's it's not the be all and end all. We have to you know follow through on that that reputation and to be providing uh, kind of value to our partners. They may be in government, at the NHS, or the wider stakeholder community, patient organisations. Um, we we have to um, I think stand for for more than 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 just the provision of um, the uh, the vaccines and other treatments that we that we provide and and I'm I'm really pleased that you know for the company specifically I think we do have reputation scores which are tracking in the right direction mm. I'm super proud that for two years in a row Pfizer's come first place in terms of corporate reputation and um, in in something called Patient View which is a a reputation uh, kind of survey of over 100 different patient groups that uh, that either know us or, or work with us and so I, I think we can see some areas there that that reflect uh, positives and how we're working with our stakeholders but but obviously there's much much more to do and as the old adage goes reputations are um, are hard won and easily lost. <laughs> yes that is definitely true it must also be true that the comms teams have had to adapt a lot uh, to that increased contact and scrutiny how have you coped with that what's the internal processing looked like well first of all I, I think you're, you're you're right it has been a big shift um, I, I count myself as as really fortunate to be surrounded by many of the most passionate and skilled communicators around and, and I really pay tribute to them for the incredible work that they've they have done and continue to do I, I think there's a there's a few things that we've sort of factored in here um uh, that we might kind of talk a little about. So the first is 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 really about maintaining energy levels. So mm. um, I, I think often what what leaders uh, think about is how to ensure that motivation uh, is at the level needed to complete the task, and that you have a, an engaged group of of, of colleagues um, uh, kind of ready to to support uh, and, and deliver. But um, I, I don't think that was the challenge for us in the context that we're in. You know, I spoke mm. earlier on about my own um, kind of views about the sector and it, and it being kind of highly purpose driven. Well, on top of that, in the depths of a deadly pandemic in a very dark winter period um, back in 2020, 2021, it, I think it was impossible for us not to be highly motivated to deal with the challenges that we were facing. So perhaps, mm. perhaps more important was, was kind of doing the opposite which was making sure that colleagues were encouraged to find the space to switch off from work and to, to energize. And um, I think when you're working really long days, when the stakes are really high, it becomes even more important that you look after yourself and your own health and well-being. And, and perhaps, you know, one of the, the real positives coming out of the pandemic is that as a society and in the workplace, we have a bit more of a focus on, on those things. Yes. And it can be tricky, can't it? Because uh, I think all too often workplaces are accused of 
saying that they are committed to those things while sending the opposite signals. So, you know, saying we think it's really important you take leave, but then you're always busy. So it's very hard to book in leave or um, saying that we believe in work-life balance, but then actually they're often being very tight deadlines that mean people have to work beyond set hours. How do you go about making sure that your team gets some of that balance? I think it's all about um, kind of flexibility, right? So, so we do, you know, Pfizer as a company, I think is, is, is very good at, um, at encouraging colleagues to, to be flexible, to um, uh, log in for your day, to, um, to, to adapt and, and to ensure that you have a, a good work-life balance. That there is always gonna be periods and we work in an industry um, and as has been demonstrated throughout the pandemic where, um, where this is, I think, keenly felt, there's always gonna be these periods of, of intense activity. Um, I, I think if you can ensure that, that, uh, that that's recognized and that people are able to uh, kind of flex their time around that, that's, that's critical. And I think the other thing is, is I think all of us can kind of lead by by example, and I don't just mean um, people who might be in in sort of leadership roles, quote unquote. Um, I think you know blocking out th- simple things like blocking out time in diaries, making it clear that, that, for example, you might be going to an exercise class or going out for a walk or spending time with um, uh, with friends or or, or family. Um, I think that just those those things signal to to others around you and the rest of the organization where your priorities need to be in order to you know ultimately uh ensure that your well-being is supported mm. yes i couldn't agree more on that one i think it's it's hard you know we've been told over the years that it's not professional to show some of those sides of things and you worry people will question your commitment but as we do live in an increasingly hybrid world in a lot of comms roles i think that kind of signaling is is really important i couldn't agree more so how are you using those experiences you you mentioned earlier that you're going through a, a bit of an exercise at the moment to capture what went well and what you've learned as an organization over the course of the pandemic how are you using that experience to prepare for the future yeah great question so i mean i think i think the first question to answer is why does this this matter so why mm. why is it important that we that we learn lessons from the pandemic and um of course, as I've already said, pandemic is not yet over. Um, we, we need to continue this focus to protect the population, both here in the UK and around the world. Um, I also said we're going through this, this transitional period around, you know, moving from pandemic response to recovery. Uh, and then, you know, also I think the key thing, and I'm going to quote Nat King Cole here, um, there may be trouble ahead. And, mm. um, and, and this, the next thing I'm about to say, I don't think was Nat Cole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of song lyric, but but the the future you know challenge that we face may be even greater than the ones that we've been facing over the last couple of years and I, I was reading some research recently which indicated that you know pandemics may be more likely to happen in the future than previously thought so so I think all of this underlines the duty that we have to capture capture learning so um w- we've been working to identify several key learnings which were sharing with our our stakeholders and um you know, I, I think in, in broad terms, there are some really important things that we can point to. Firstly, that creating the conditions in which life sciences can flourish is going to be fundamental to health and wealth in the future. And that, that's true for the UK as it is for, um, for you know, around the globe. Mm. Secondly, focusing on prevention 
is going to be critical to building healthcare resilience in future, and that's both at an individual and systemic level. Um, and then I think also, you know, we've seen digital technology, use of data, innovative regulation, all of these things can potentially enable fast, faster patient access to new technologies without cutting any corners in terms of, of, of safety. Um, and, and the final thing, of course, you know, we, I think we have to look at um, the, the power of being mission-led. So, so something, uh, uh, we talk a lot about the, the UK Vaccine Task Force as, as kind of embodying this, but, um, but, but having that clear central mission, bringing stakeholders together to address it, can be a very powerful way to advance innovation. And um, that's something I think which is recognized by the UK government and is certainly supported by, by us and the broader sector. Mm. I think that echoes my own feelings in that I see time and again how important a campaigning mindset can be in a communications role, not necessarily because uh, campaigning is something that all organizations must do, although I think it can be a powerful tool, it's partly because it ensures that for a whole host of your activities, you have a really clear goal. You all know what you're trying to achieve and you orient your activities very clearly around that. And I've, I see in so many of my clients, the impact that that has. So I think that does lead me to another question, which is you, you have this higher profile, you have that belief in this higher purpose. What are you going to do with it? What's next for Pfizer? Yeah, I think there are, you know, um, there, there's, there's many important things here. So I, I might talk a bit about sort of sustaining um, uh, our profile externally and then, then come on to practically mm. what that what that means. So I, I think in, in, in general, top of mind for me is, is working to ensure that we are, we're perceived as the, the purpose and value-led organization that we are, driven by science and delivering significant value to, to society and the broader economy um and at, at this but at the same time um i think humility is incredibly important so no single organization is is ever going to have all of the answers it's going to be absolutely essential in future that we continue to work together across industry government the nhs academia um because we're going to need to develop common solutions to uh, to common challenges um and then of course you know, as an industry, I think we need to continue to you know, obviously provide solutions to the big healthcare challenges facing people. I think the good news is that we're on the cusp of a wave of innovation, which is heralding great promise for patients. And that's from mRNA technology to cell and gene therapy, new personalized treatments for cancer, to name but a few. So um, I think, you know, bearing all of these things in mind as we go forward is, is really, really important. And then on a on a practical level, so what does that mean for us as as sort of corporate affairs function in the UK? Well, we, we probably do have an opportunity now to share our views with a, a broader audience here in the UK than we maybe have before, uh, and we're really excited to um, to be pulling together um, a kind of new set of campaign materials and a new kind of integrated approach, which is all focused around the concept of breakthroughs. Here we're taking inspiration from our company purpose, which is breakthroughs that change patients' lives. And, and I think often breakthroughs are thought of as kind of sudden, dramatic things, new discoveries like vaccines and treatments. But, but breakthroughs come in many different forms. They may be policy changes that help patients benefit from innovation. It might be a mindset of collaboration 
such as that that powered the COVID-19 science, could be new ways of working like the vaccine task force. And, and we, we've been doing a lot of work to pull together a program of ideas. We have a, we have a manifesto document, we have a program of events, and we have a lot of activities that we do online, which help to bring that concept of breakthroughs to life and to shine an insight onto what the industry does. That sounds really exciting. And I, I very much look forward to hearing more about breakthroughs. It strikes me that some companies find that level of um, putting themselves out there, thought leadership, quite intimidating. And it's perhaps seen as part of a spectrum that um, starts at total silence and um, sort of low ego companies that prefer not to speak out on anything um, except for perhaps their own pricing uh, through to, uh, I suppose, perhaps here, Ben and Jerry's are the archetype at the other end of the spectrum, very well known for taking uh, views on a wide range of social issues. How does Pfizer decide where it sits on that scale? How do you make the call about where to intervene, where it um, perhaps uh, correlates with your purpose and where perhaps it's not useful for you to get involved? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, I, I mean, I think I think the right approach is going to be different for different organisations, and it might be it might be different for different issues. So I, I don't know a huge amount about about sort of the Ben and Jerry's of this world, but I can talk talk a bit about us. So um, I, I think I think it's 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 fair to say that societal expectations on on business in general are increasing and I think in the you know in the, the the modern kind of communications landscape that we're in that there's an expectation that we are uh, probably communicating a lot more than than businesses have been comfortable communicating in the past and and um, I think we can see that across a range of of different different issues um, I think when deciding whether to say something about a social issue, it's always helpful to have a bit of a framework to draw on. And I think this is even more important in, um, in what, what can be quite a polarized kind of external environment when it comes to talking about issues like this. And, and uh, in terms of that framework, I mean, I think one thing we would think about is whether first and foremost, the issue advances or challenges our purpose, our company mm. strategy or our values. We have four values, courage, excellence, equity, and and joy. So, so kind of looking at an issue in relation to that is important. I think another would be thinking about whether the issue directly impacts upon our stakeholders, and, and they might be internal or external. It could be patients, regulators, shareholders, or colleagues. Um, I think all of these things are important uh, to, to consider. And then another, um, and I'm sure this will be kind of common for many organizations, is, is thinking about what the options are for responding again internal or external and and what the implications are of us taking that that course of action and and uh, I think you know bringing all those things together can can kind of help guide the approach of, of the organization um, and may be useful to others I mean to give to give one example our our CEO has been one of several corporate leaders to speak out about action plans for racial equity um, an issue which is very clearly important to our patients and our colleagues mm. To give another, earlier on this year, Pfizer announced its commitment to accelerate climate change and achieve net zero by 2040, which again is a, you know, is, is a major issue for society, but it's also a major issue for the company too. Um, 
So just a couple of examples there, I think, maybe help to bring that to life. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, there are there are some issues that are obviously very specific to a particular company, but you alluded there to some of the ones that perhaps impact broader business interests. So things like climate change, social equity, um, what the role of a company is in this day and age. And then there's sort of this broader basket that perhaps are more specific to, to pharmaceuticals, such as you know, equity of access to vaccines, IP rights, um, and and licensed to operate for, for pharmaceutical businesses. Where do you see that debate for pharmaceutical businesses moving? Do you, do you think it's something where the sector as a whole has effectively risen to some of those challenges and is responding well? Yeah, so um, as I kind of said earlier on, this pandemic is 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 very much not over and and, and that's true of the UK of the UK but it, it's certainly true globally and since the beginning of the pandemic equitable equitable global access to the innovation we produce has been our north star i think there's there's quite rightly been a very strong debate about how to ensure that people in all parts of the world can access pandemic vaccines and and therapeutics and we we recognize that as a manufacturer, we've got a very important part to play in that discussion. You know, we, we've so far delivered over 4 billion doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine worldwide. Um, we have provided access to low and low middle income countries on a not-for-profit basis. And to expand access in these countries, we've been calling for solutions which address critical problems on the ground today and, and do not mean that it might be more difficult in future to develop innovation um, in uh, future pandemic scenarios. And, and that includes things like waiving intellectual property rights. Um, and, and I think it's been important for us to be visible as part of that, that debate. It's been important for us to be regularly sharing factual, accurate information with our, with our stakeholders, because this is, this is such an important issue and clearly we are, as a manufacturer, um, it's central to that, that whole discussion. That's everything from us. A big thank you to my guest, Richard Morn, Senior Director of UK Policy and Public Affairs at Pfizer, for talking to me about everything from breakthrough thinking during a pandemic, to managing a team in the midst of a crisis, to how to use purpose to shape a communication strategy. Since Richard and I spoke, Pfizer have published their most recent Breakthrough Nation report, offering a 10-point plan for how industry and government can work better together to improve the nation's health, wealth and resilience. I'll add a link to that report in the show notes. It's well worth a read. But I would love to hear from you which lessons particularly stood out from this conversation. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll tell your colleagues and perhaps write us a review on your usual podcasting app. It really does help new listeners to find the show. Thank you, as always, for listening to Why Everybody Hates You. And remember, you are not alone. Listener.